Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. The Minister for Children, uh, Rodrigo Gorman, will bring the final report of the Commission of Investigation into Mother and Baby Homes and other related matters to the Cabinet this morning. The report will be released, I believe, in around half past three today. It will be available online. It follows a five-year investigation into the lives of women and children in 18 institutions during the period of 1922 to 1998. And the document, which is 3,000 pages long, will be distributed to survivors before it is made public to the wider audience, so to speak, at three o'clock or in and around three, half past three. Now, the report is accumulation of the Commission's findings on practices and procedures in 14 mother and baby homes and four county homes over a 76-year period. Living conditions in the institutions, mortality among mothers and babies were among the issues examined. Also, who's to blame, I suppose? As well as a post-mortem practices, vaccine trials conducted on children, illegal adoptions and social attitudes, which was the biggest problem, of course. The social attitude, because the social attitude was one of Christianity at the time and the Catholic Church and the way, I suppose, mothers who were pregnant outside of wedlock were treated. It has also been revealed, by the way, by the Sunday uh, newspaper that the report will say that 9,000 babies and children died in the homes. The, the leaked report also suggests that the government is taking some of the blame away from the state and the Catholic Church and saying that uh, some of it was self-inflicted somewhat, is what they're probably suggesting. I don't know. We, will, we won't go into that too much as we actually see the report, but that's what it seems to suggest. Um, but I want to continue the topic today, and we spoke about it yesterday. We spoke to many women yesterday. Some of the stories were absolutely outrageous. And as you know myself, I was born in St. Patrick's Home on the Navin Road, so a very good understanding of you know what a lot of these women went through and a lot of the children. So I would like to ask you to come on the air and talk to us and share your story. If you're a mother... Or if you're a child who was born in any of these homes or institutions, as they were called yesterday, because they weren't really homes. It wasn't a nice word for them. Institutions. If you were born in any of these institutions or indeed you had a baby in any of these institutions, please come on the air and share your story and let people know what these places were like. Because many people listening today are too young to remember what these places were like and maybe have don't really have a good understanding of what Irish women went through uh, during between 1922 and 1998 the last one closed. So let me know what you think. Uh, the number is 087-188-0008. And should it be a blame game? People are saying, yeah, you should, what's the point in blaming the Catholic Church? What's the point in blaming the state now? Sure, you know, years have passed. Look, let's just, you know, draw a line in the sand, move forward. I think there's good reason to blame people uh, because people failed. And I think ultimately the state failed. Yes, the Catholic Church were responsible for a lot of the misgivings, but the church allowed them to, or the state allowed them to do it and paid them to do it as well, handsomely. So I want to know what you think. The number is 087 Share your story and let us know. Maybe you were in the home, maybe you were born in a home, or maybe you had a baby in one of these institutions. Uh, Sharon, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Sharon? Hello, how are you doing? How are you? Uh, Sharon, I, I don't know, are you, are you going to be reading the report today when it comes out and out of interest? I will be, yeah. Yeah. And what do you, well, from the leaks that you've seen so far and the suggestions that have been made so far, that some of the blame or a portion of the blame has been taken away from the church and the state and almost put onto the people and a societal issue, that societal attitudes. In other words, it was kind of our own fault. Well, I do think the state, the state knew what was going on. Um, the Catholic Church knew what was going on. Society maybe didn't know as much, but they knew some part of it. But we, ex- we accepted it because that was the way it was, I suppose. That was the way it was, yes. Mm. Mm. When I was in the mother and baby home, I was in Dunboyne, mother and baby home. Yep. And every fortnight, we got paid, twenty. I think it was 20 punt in 85, a fortnight. Mm-hmm. But nobody can answer where that money came from. It wasn't from my family. You know, I yeah. don't think it was from the nuns, so it had to come from the state. But the state were paying these homes per head, yes. you know, for everybody that they had in there. Somebody had to pay for it. The state were paying these institutions. Yeah, yeah. So, like, and I have got my files from the Dumbine Mother and Baby Home, which is about three pages long. I was there from 1985, November 1985, till February 86. And, and what, what led, to, you were 16 at the time, so... I was 16. Yeah, and what led to the circumstances, Sharon, you know, if it's, I, I, if there's anything you don't want to share with us, please don't. But what led to the circumstances of you being in that home? I mean, what happened that you ended up there? Well, I was actually groomed by a married man. Okay. I was... I'm sorry to hear that. 15. 
when he started. Um, he was 35. And I got pregnant. I didn't tell my parents. I was five months pregnant. That There was um, a teacher from the school yeah. noticed and came home and told my parents. I had two options. One, I stayed at home. And any time somebody came to the door, I had to go to my room and wasn't allowed to come out. Or the priest that came with the teacher come up with the Good Shepherd mother and baby home in Dunbine. So, but can I, can I ask you, sorry for interrupting you, but at any stage, did the priest or the teacher or anybody of authority turn around and say, well, what's more important is not that Sharon is pregnant and has to hide in her room, but what's more important is Sharon was taken advantage of as a minor. Was, it, was, was that ever suggested? No. What was more important was the I shame of you being say, pregnant. I didn't say. I was too afraid to say because he was a friend of the family. So it was like, I can't say who it is because... My father trouble. would have been very aggressive and, you know, just out That's of fear and utter fear. Um, so the priest organised the mother and baby home and within about a week I was sent to the mother and baby home. I slept on a camp bed, stretcher bed, you know, the old camp yeah, stretcher yeah, yeah. for about five weeks because it was full to capacity. There was no room. And and all the other girls and women that were there, they would have been in and around your age, a little bit older, maybe some of them as well. Yeah, yeah. Around about the same and age. And the circumstances of most of those would have been pretty similar to yours. Just very young, got pregnant, shame on the family, have yeah. the baby here, and you're off Hide you go them home. away, yeah. hide them away, brush it under the carpet, never spoke about again. Like with my family, it was never spoke about again. Um, even to this day, like I don't speak to my mother to this day because she won't and did acknowledge. And did anybody ever afterwards even acknowledge that you had been basically sexually assaulted as, as a minor? Has anybody acknowledged that? No. No. And how, how do you feel about that, that? That aspect of it? That angers me because like I didn't tell my parents who it was up until years later they mm. found out. And then it was um, there was nothing said I was the one to blame. Why was, Why were you to blame at 15 years of age? In their eyes, it was, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. You led him on? I led him on at oh, 15. Okay, okay. And at 15, back then, like I didn't know anything about getting pregnant, what it entailed. No, so why anything. would you? Of course, and we, and we lived in a very different world, and for people just yeah. for some perspective on that, nowadays, of course, you have the internet and YouTube and uh, exactly. TikTok and everything else, and people, younger girls now have much better knowledge of all those yeah. things. But in those yeah. days, we didn't have a great knowledge of pregnancy and all no. that, and how to no. get pregnant as such. No. You know? Like so, so could you could you talk me through the day? So, so when the parish priest uh, arrived with the teacher and said, okay, we, we need to get her out of here, and your mum and dad agreed uh, that we need yeah. to get you out of here, who took you to the to Dunboyne at that particular day? I was put on a bus. Okay. On my own to go to Dublin. I live in Monaghan. Right, okay. And I was put on a bus at 8 o'clock in the morning to meet a nun at the Gresham Hotel. I uh, was lifted at the Gresham by a woman who wasn't in a nun habit, so I only seen, I only knew a nun in a nun habit. Yeah, yeah, because she was dressed like a layperson, yeah. Yeah. So she came on the bus and she goes, is your name Sharon? And I goes, yeah. And she says, come with me. Could have been anybody. And did it all seem very kind of cloak and daggerish, if you if you understand what I mean? I mean, was there a lot of secrecy around what was going on? Oh, definitely. Mm. Like, my mother told uh, an aunt of mine that I had got a job working in a guest house in Minus at 15, 16. So nobody was being told where, where Sharon was going? No. No, no, no of course not. No, no, no. no. Okay, so she was on the bus with you, and off you went then. You were going to Dunboyne, I assume, at that stage. No, I got on the bus on my own. Okay, okay. Travelled to Dublin on my own, and I was to meet her at the Gresham. Yep. So um, she came on the bus and asked my name, and then we went around some car park around the back of the Gresham. We seemed to walk for ages. Okay. And then we um, got into the car, and we drove to Dunboyne. When I got to Dunboyne, we went in through the front door into a room in the left, which was the visitor's room. You must, you must have been terrified at that I age. I was petrified. Scariest thing I think I've ever done. 
I can almost, I can almost, I can almost visualize you walking in with this, this woman who you didn't even know, complete stranger no. to you, no. and, and you know, young, terrified. Not, not only the fact that you've been First through what you've been through. From home. Yeah, yeah. It was. It's a thing I never forget. You know, it'll never leave me. That experience of going into that home. Mm. That was the twenty fifth of November, so it was exactly a month before Christmas. Um, was told there was no bed that I would have to sleep on a camp bed for about six weeks. Um, some girl came in and she was asked to go and get tea and toast, so tea and toast was brought in to me. And the rest of the conversation was kind of a blur. I don't even know what the nun said to me. Mm-hmm. And I was there. And how many, how, how long were you pregnant at that stage, do you think? I five mean, I know, I know. About five months. Five months, so it was starting to show at that stage. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then, obviously, there was a discussion. Did they have a doctor in there that would that examined you or had a look to check, make sure your pregnancy was okay and everything was going well? No. No. There would have, you would have, um, there would have been a minibus that would have took a few of us to Hollis Street. Okay. Um for your checkups on, I think there was a nun there that knew something, you know, if there was a problem or something like that. Yeah. Um, she would have some medical would, experience, yeah. She had some medical experience. Okay. Um, and what was expected of you then? You know, did they give you a list of expectations that, you know, that you had to do certain things for your keep, so to speak? Well, you would have got up about half six in the morning and come down for breakfast. Then you would have went and got changed and you would have had chores to do, which would have probably your upkeep. Mine was, it was a three-story building. So mine was brushing and sweeping down stairs. Okay. Every day. Um, then there was a rota in the kitchen where they took turns of washing up and cleaning up and preparing breakfast, dinner and lunch and whatever. Um then, after your lunch, there was a porta cabin, and you would have all went into the porta cabin. And I don't know if you know, you get packs of cards in cellophane. You might get three or four cards, you know, kind of math cards or greeting yeah. cards or stuff yeah. like that. We would have been putting them into the cellophane. These are the cards, of course, the church would have sent out at Christmas to all the locals to to, to raise money. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, one. So that was what we done in the port cabin, and then I'd say about four o'clock, the evening was our own. And when you say your own, po- were you allowed? I, I, I'm assuming you were allowed to walk out and go down to the local village in Dunboy. Were yeah. you allowed? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And did, was there a curfew? Did you have to be back at a certain time? Not that I remember. Mm. The, uh, curfew. I suppose I would have been, in a sense, one of the lucky ones, like. You know, when you look at the Magdalene and all that there, yeah, we actually weren't treated too badly. bad. Okay. Um, the only fault that I would have with them would have been the counselling. Yeah. That was lack of or non-existent. Well, you're a young girl and you're pregnant and going to be a baby. You're essentially just a child yourself. Yeah. And you're going to have a child, so there should be some yeah. form of counselling to somebody to talk to you and let you know what to expect. So... Getting closer to the time when you were having your baby and you were due to have the baby and up to that point you you say you were treated reasonably well. Now mind you, the whole idea of putting girls, pregnant girls in a building and keeping them away from society to have babies is quite shameful in itself so it doesn't matter about the the treatment as such. But when when it was time to have the baby, what was said to you in relation to, was it ever suggested do you want to keep your baby or was that ever an option? No, well my parents told me before I left, don't even think of bringing home a baby because it's not happening. That baby is not coming home. Okay. So. And did I you? And did you, in your it. own mind, think you know? God, you know, I'd like to bring the baby home. Was that something? I know you were very young, maybe and immature, but but is that something that went through your head? Like I'd rather maybe keep the baby. It. I don't know if it did because there was an awful fear with my father, like. You just didn't go against him. Yeah. So no, no, I know it, and I, and I know that's what, what was told. Yeah, fathers at the time were were quite. Uh, there was a lot of authority in fathers at the time, yeah. of course, and particularly Christian families. 
the father would have been the head of the household and, and made the rules, essentially. Yeah. And when when you had the baby, or and then did they ask you then to sign a release form or a consent form then to put the baby up for adoption? What happened was, well, I went into labour a month early. So um, she, um, my daughter was born a month premature and okay. was in intensive care. Um, so the five or six days that I was in the hospital, I spent every day in intensive care. Never left it. Yeah. And was this, in Hall, was this in Hollow Street as well? Hollow Street. Yeah. Hollow Street, they treated you like a leper because you weren't married. You know, the yeah. experience in there... So you were treated very differently to a married couple who were in there having a baby yeah. at the time. Yeah. When I when I um, went in, in labour, the, um, they examined me and told me that I wasn't in labour, that I'd have to wait on a bed or wait on the minibus to come back. And I was left in a room the size of a box for a couple of hours on my own, totally petrified, didn't know what was happening, didn't know anything. Then they came back to tell me they'd got me a bed, and as I got up off the bed, it was covered in blood. So I was ushered down to the operating theatre, which was a bed with stirrups, and wasn't told what they were going to do to me. And literally, I know this sounds terrible, but they literally broke my waters and put me... There was a line of cubicles along the wall, 10 cubicles. I was put in the furthest one until I was ready to deliver with nobody by my side. I'm sure you remember every single minute of that. Yeah, totally on my own. Nobody there. It was the most, between going to the mother and baby home and then having to go through that. This is barbaric behaviour. I mean, it's not something we would even think about nowadays. And and I want to mention that too, in Hollow Street Hospital. Now, you would never be treated differently if you were a single mum. But, of course, times were different. Yeah. Uh, and, mind you, it's not that long ago. It's not that long no. ago. We, we were talking about this like it's 100 years ago, and it almost yeah. seems like something from 100 years ago, but this is not. Yeah. This is only 30 years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, so when you had the baby, then the baby had to be moved, obviously, to intensive care. Did, by the way, did you have a name in your head for the baby? Did you want Did you want to name the baby? I did name her. Okay. I did name her, and even on the birth certificate... I named her on the birth certificate. What was her name? Nicole. Nicole, okay. Um, so I left the hospital. I don't remember signing anything in the hospital. don't remember anything about leaving the hospital. I don't even remember saying goodbye to her up until probably, but I went through depression for, I'd say, 20 years. Mm-hmm. 20 years. I have two kids here now. Well, they're 28 and... 26. I don't, I done with them the main things. I cooked, I cleaned, I took them to school, I done that, all that kind of stuff. Not the emotion. I just couldn't. So, you, so in other words, you just got through life essentially. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and what did, did you, obviously, have you told your two children, obviously, yes. about Nicole? Yes, yes, yes. And what yes. age were they when you told them? Were they quite young? 12. Okay. And how did they, how did they react to that, that they had a little sister somewhere? Sorry, well, big husband's sister. after coming in with the phone here. I'm in love That's okay. <laughs> Sorry, but um, they, when I told them, I told my son was 12, my daughter, no, my daughter was 12 and my son was 13 mm-hmm. because it says that they were old enough to maybe understand, you know, what happened. Yeah, of happened. course, yeah, yeah. And the first thing my daughter said, she wanted to meet her. She wants to know where she is. She wanted to know where she is. They must be both very proud of their mammy, by the way. Yeah, I think they are, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm especially from I started telling my story and opening up. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, it's not secret anymore. Like, I'm not keeping it secret. It happened. It should never be a secret. It should never have been a secret. Yeah, never. And she should be here with me. Well, she's 36 but, years of age now, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So her birthday is coming up now on the twenty first of February, mm-hmm. and and do you celebrate? Do, do you celebrate her birthday in your own? Oh, I do. Uh, in your own way, I mark it some way. I mm-hmm. do something. Yeah, even something small, I do it. But when I went to sign the adoption papers, uh, was a year after I had her, which that doesn't make sense why it was so long, but. Um, 
I was lifted in the town by a social worker. My mother didn't even come. Was driven, what, about 40 minutes away to a wee room and told to sign there. Did you know what you were signing? Didn't. No, see, I mean, consent is only consent when it's informed consent. I was 17. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It wasn't informed consent. You weren't no. even 18. You weren't, you legitimately couldn't sign it because you were under the age of 18 anyway. Yeah, so yeah. That, you, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, there should have been a guardian there to go through that with you and sign it yeah. with you. If that was yeah. the case, if that was something you really needed to do, do or wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. So to me, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not a solicitor or barrister, but I'm sure it's illegal. Yeah. You know? But it is what it is, and it happened. And and just because, I, and I don't want to rush anybody today, the same as yesterday, it's very hard for me sometimes, come down, we have to go to ad breaks or news, or, and I, I always feel like I'm rushing people. I don't ever rush anybody through the story because I want everybody to tell their story. But in relation to Nicole now, what? where are you now? Have you found her? Have you met her? No. I, no. I know where she is, okay. and I've written her a letter. Okay. She replied to the letter. Okay. But she doesn't want to meet. Okay. But that's fine. And, and and that's her choice as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I understand yeah. that. I mean, that it can be very difficult. And maybe she'll revisit that in her own head, you know, later well, in her life. She may revisit that. The way that. I look at it now, I have more information about her yeah. than I did five or six years ago. Yeah. Do you know, and to me, I always live in hope. Like, it, there will be some day. Yeah, you don't, you don't, I mean, she obviously is with adoptive parents, or she was with adoptive parents uh, at the time, and, and maybe, I don't know, if her parents are still with her now, or whatever, or what the situation oh, is. Oh, I think they are, yeah, okay. I think they are. And, and I'm sure they've done a wonderful job in bringing her up, and raising her. Well, they've probably done a better job than I could at the age I oh, well, don't, don't write yourself off, Sharon. But in you saying, know? it would have been a different life, that certainly would have been a different yeah. life for, for Nicole. But in saying that, you know, she may revisit that, she might come back to it again, and... If it was a case that she's listening and knows who she is, I mean, she'd be the only one who would know who she is. I mean, what would you say to her? What did you say to her in a letter? Like, did you apologize? Or not that, by the way, I'm not suggesting you have anything to apologize for, but in your own mind, maybe you felt that you needed to do that. What did you say to her? Well, I more or less explained the circumstance of how how it happened and my age. And um, mm-hmm. if I had... A, if, Things had been different. And you had had family support and financial support. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I think um, the biggest problem was family support. You didn't have... Was family support, yeah. 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 That would have been my biggest, you know, like... Because when I came home from Dunbine, it was never talked about after that. Yeah. It was like it never happened. Yeah. I'm really sorry. Your story it echoes many of the stories that we've heard. And that, I mean, it must be heartbreaking. I know it must be heartbreaking for you, Sharon, to tell the story. And you told it brilliantly, by the way. And it gives people a great insight into what this report is about today that comes out at half past three today to all the mothers uh, of the kind of 80,000 or so children around the country who went Thank through you. these homes. And I'm delighted you come on the air. I'm really happy you told your story. And, and I wish you well. And I hope some point Nicole revisits that maybe in her mind. And even, it's not that you want some sort of crazy relationship, but you just want to meet up, maybe say hello, have a chat, give her a little bit of a hug, maybe. Yeah. Be nice. If we can. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Hey, um, just one thing, you know, like by telling my story, if I can help one person. Yeah. You know, even anybody that wants to get in touch with me or anything like that. Don't be, don't be afraid to contact me if somebody's in the same boat that maybe can't speak out about it and they just want... What, are you part of a, a group currently at the moment yourself? Well, I'm part of a Birth Mothers okay. Facebook group, but I can be messaged, you know, through use or whatever, yeah, if okay. need be. Okay. Because um, I know before I started speaking out, I felt as if I was the only one and by t- talking to other birth mothers who have gone through this, it makes such a difference to be, to feel as if you're not on your own. No. You're not on your own in this. There is and you're not on your own now because everybody understands now. Sadly, you were on your own at the time, yeah. Sharon. Yeah. And, and I still have that vision in my head of you at 16 years of age walking through those big doors, you know, yeah. wondering what, what lie, lay in the future for the next eight months or nine months for you. You know what yeah. I mean? It must have been yeah. horrendous. Horrendous. Well, for the next, for the 20 years after. And for the 20 years afterwards, of course. Of course. Yeah. Listen, Sharon, thank you very much indeed. And thank you for sharing your story. All thank right. you very and much. your children must be very proud of you. 
All right. Thank, thank you. All right. Thank you. There you go. Sharon, she was in Dunboyne, just like many people are texting in who said they were in Dunboyne as well. After the break, by the way, as well, I do want to talk to Catherine Corliss, who started this whole story off back in 2013 with Alison O'Reilly, of course, in the Daily Mail. And also we talked to France, uh, Councillor Francis Timmons, who was also a county home survivor, and talks about the vaccine trials that were used on many people, including those, by the way, like me in St. Patrick's Home on the Navan Road as well. Uh, Glaxo Klein Smith, or Glaxo Smith Klein, just say obviously confirmed that as an adult that he had been involved in those trials. We'll talk about that after the break and maybe you have a story to share with us as well. You may remember uh, going back some while, a time ago actually when we talked about the June babies and Alison O'Reilly of course broke the story with Catherine Corliss and Catherine Corliss probably goes down as one of the very few people who got a standing ovation on the Late Late Show because of her work concerning the deaths of children in the baby home in Tume and she joins me on the air. Catherine, good afternoon to you. Hello Niall and thank you for having me on. Well, you're, you're, you've been you're, very good for covering the whole story over the years and we're very thankful for that. Uh, you're welcome. Well, to be honest, with you, I obviously have a very personal interest in it because I was born in one of these homes. Oh so, yes, indeed. Uh, so I have a personal interest. But by the way, well done. And I haven't spoken to you since the time you were on the Late Late Show. I think that was probably the last time we oh, spoke. Oh yeah, to you. that's it. Yes, uh, it's, you, it's great. It's great to get out there. And you get got such story great alive. support. That's, absolutely that's, great support. Uh, absolutely, the media that carried this and kept the story alive all those years. But look, we wouldn't be where we are today without you, Catherine. Well, uh, you, I started it anyway. No, yeah, I, absolutely. Well, you were the cog in the wheel that got the, yourself and Alison O'Reilly, of course. That's right, Alison. Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah. And now we're at a point where the government now eventually, after delay, after delay, after delay, are now releasing this report today. Now, some of the leaks that were in the newspaper uh, on Sunday in the Sunday Independent, of course, mm-hmm. suggest now, of course, that they, obviously the survivors have said they've broken the trust between the government and the survivors because of these leaks that shouldn't yes. have happened. But it does suggest in the report, obviously, that 9,000 children had died. Yeah. Uh, it also suggests the way children were treated, mortality rate was low. And there's also a suggestion, too, in those leaks that have come out so far. Now, again, we, we, we don't have the report yet. We won't have it until 3 o'clock today. But there's also a suggestion as well that the portion of the blame is not being put on the state or the Catholic Church. Yeah. That indeed, uh, it was no, a societal I, issue. Yeah. So I would, I would hope, I would hope in this final report that, that uh, w- when we do get the full report that that would be reversed because, I mean, a, a leak, a small leak like that from a report, uh, did they just, uh, did they just tend to harp on that one one bit, bit uh, in the sentence, which it was that that I think was uh, very horrific to a lot of the the people who have been born in the home that they emphasised that they're pushing it back on the on the parents because that has come up. Uh, of course, the religious will bring that up every single time, and and the church, and it's it's a shame that that line came out. But I am banking at that in the report that the, the religious will take their own share of blame and the church as well. I mean, the state are owning up already, but that's not enough. The, the, we need an apology from the religious. And as mm. regards to we need an apology from the Bond School Sisters. So we, we can only wait and see. Is that I mean, a, a lot of people I've spoken to, including survivors over the last two days, have said the apology is a bit mealy-mouthed. It's not really an apology they want. It's an acknowledgement more so that this absolutely actually happened. Need, because, absolutely. You know, that's what is needed. Um, an, ap- an, a, an apology, a, atonement and an acknowledgement is awfully important to survivors, to the people I've spoken to, the need, the need to know and that this happened, this happened them, this happened their mothers, it was wrong. And, and just acknowledge that first and foremost. That's what I've been, I've been asking for. So, um, yeah. The figure of 9,000 babies uh, dying in these homes or institutions, people say, by the way, it's an insult to call them homes. A home is something that's a nice thing. Yeah. An institution. Um, the figure of 9,000 over that period of time, this is in 18 institutions. Do you believe that figure is underestimated? Well, a lot of people are asking me, is it overestimated? But mm. uh, it, it mightn't be the final figure at all because it didn't look enormous to me because take tune with, uh, with over 800 for That's for what I was thinking, area. yeah. yeah. And St. Patrick's, of course, would have been the, the busiest home uh, out of all these. So you, could, you would imagine that there would be a lot more than that. Because be ma- absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Well, just, uh, well, uh, that, that, I don't know, does that include mothers as well, that, that uh, figure? Because uh, in Tume alone, there was at least 10 or 12 mothers who died in that space of time as well. Well, well according to the quote, it's 9,000 babies and children. They don't mention mothers, so uh, I, yeah, I'm assuming that's a separate, I'm well, assuming that's separate figure, yeah. Because they did die, and uh, there's no accountability for any of them. I mean, to listening to Sharon just before you came on, and I don't know whether you heard Sharon I heard or not. some of it, Niall, yeah. yeah. And she talks about even when they were sent to Hollow Street on the minibus, um, that they were treated differently in Hollow Street because they were single parents, of course. They weren't married. And, oh, absolutely. And, and they were frowned upon. So they were, the, of course, because that happened in Galway City even. The, 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 it was called Central Hospital at the time. 
Indeed, the, uh, that's why the maternity unit uh, opened very quickly in the Tum home. It opened in the 1930s because uh, the, the, the women who were given birth in, in Central Hospital were making a huge issue of, of being in the next bed to a woman who, who had an illegitimate baby. Mm-hmm. So that is definite. That, that did happen, and that's horrific. I mean, and should it be a blame game, Catherine? Do you believe that's what we should be doing now? A lot of people are saying, well, OK, look, we look back at this with shame, as we should. But but should it be a line in the sand now, move forward, or should there be accountability for oh, what happens? There accountability. I mean, if, if they don't do that, I mean, what's the point of a truth inquiry if, if it isn't acknowledged? I mean, there's always forgiveness, but, but to, be, <laughs> to, to give forgiveness, you need, to, you need someone to ask you for forgiveness. And I mean, if, if, if the issue is that the, the religious are just going to dismiss all this and say, and say it wasn't their fault and just move ahead, it, it just leaves the survivors the same as they were as ever. There's going to be no healing whatsoever and, unless they're told that this was wrong and it shouldn't have been done. And so many survivors are just so willing to, to accept what happened to them if, if there is an apology. I mean, the shocking part about Sharon's story was that she said that she had been groomed by a family friend. Uh, she was 15 years of age when she got pregnant by this family friend. Yeah. And when the parish priest and the teacher came to the home, yeah. they were more interested in hiding Sharon's pregnancy than they were about asking and finding out how she was after being essentially sexually oh, assaulted and raped. There, there was no, that never came into it, and the father of the child never came into it. It was always the woman, always. And that is, that, that is just more of it. And uh, that, that should come into it as well. I would hope there'd be something about how the fathers got away scot-free and how... How, how the state didn't follow them and how it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, a law that to get these fathers to maintain the child and own up. But it didn't. It was the women again. I mean, it all, as, at that time, it was always the women that were at fault. Were well, well, ultimately, it is the state. Of course, we can blame the Catholic Church, the bond secures, the nuns, the, mm. the, 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 the sisters, the Good Shepherd sisters, and everybody yeah. else who was involved in this. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that was all sanctioned by the state because the state knew what was going on and ignored it. They did indeed, but then again, you have to remember that the religious, I go back to the religious because, and the church, because they are moral teachers. They teach us just to be kind, to be good, to follow the laws of Jesus as, they, as we're told. But they, I mean, that was their, that, that's their job first and foremost, uh, just, just to show compassion and to show uh, love to the people. But, uh, I mean, it, it, uh, it was more for them to come out with a bit of compassion. No, no matter what the state said or no matter how things were, it, it, it should be a normal part of every person to show a bit of empathy and compassion to the less fortunate. And that's what the church teaches us, but they didn't practice it. So we cannot forget that, Niall. Well, listen, Catherine, I'm sure you'll be like everybody else waiting at three o'clock today or half past three when the, when the report comes out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and maybe we'll talk to you again. Hopefully and, not. And, and, but and, I mean, it's not a blame game. It's just wanting, wanting people to own up to what happened. Okay, listen, Catherine, thank you very much indeed. And thank you, by the way, on behalf of everybody listening, thank you very much indeed for making sure this story stays in the news. Uh, Thank you very much. There you go, Catherine Corliss. After the break as well, I'll talk to Councillor Francis Francis Timmons, who'll talk about the the trials that took place. The farmer giant GlaxoSmithKline confirmed to him, as an adult, he had been involved in two trials between 1972 and 1973. This happened in St. Patrick's Home as well on the Navin Road. The children were basically used as human guinea pigs. got a text there a few minutes ago, somebody saying, Niall, why do you keep blaming the state and the Catholic Church, why don't you blame the parents of these young women who put their children and uh, obviously listen to Sharon? Um, well, the reason I don't is, and those people can blame their own parents if they want to, by the way, they can portion some of the blame to them. But as a society, I don't blame the parents. And I'll tell you why I don't blame them. Because that was the way it was. Those parents were shamed by the church because they were good Christians. And that's what good Christians were told to do by these evil monsters who were parish priests, teachers, some of them, lay teachers and, by the way, uh, Christian brother teachers, etc. They were the ones who told these parents, you cannot have your pregnant daughter in the house. You can't let her go back out in the village with a little baby and a buggy. That can't be happening. You've got to get her off up to the home there. We give the baby away and nobody will even know. Just say she got a job in Dublin. Because they were told to do it. Because they were told to be good Christians. Just like those many people who died years and years ago, and probably still happens today, who leave their worldly goods to the Catholic Church. And the priests will be almost at their bedside when they're dying to make sure they do it. Let me know what you think. The number's 087 188 0008. Councillor Francis Timmons 
joins me on the line. Good afternoon to you, Francis. How are you? Good afternoon, Niall. How are you doing? Good. Shocking. Well, look, this report is out today. I think a lot of people have a good idea of what's in the report. Well, I, it, look, it's 3,000 pages. There's going to be a lot in it, but we kind of got some of the bones of it from the leaked uh, article in the Irish Independent. But you, in particular, 19, you were born in 1971 and, again, taken off your mum because she was unmarried, which was, there was a stigma attached to that clearly at the time. But obviously focusing as well on children like yourself used as human guinea pigs. Absolutely, yeah. Now, well, yeah, in 1973, I was, I was used, as you said, I was born in 71 to my mother. She already had had two children at that stage. She had my sister in the 1960s and my other brother then in 1969, and I was born in 71. And uh, the two of them were in St. Pat's on the Navan Road, and then I was in Madonna House in Black Rock with my other brother, who was born two years after me. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, in 1973, the vaccine trials, yes, I was used in the, the vaccine trials. I was one of 19 people to get the first trial, and I was one of 30 then to get the second. And so, they did uh, these trials, by the way, back in the 60s as well, in St. Patrick's Home, by the way, in the Navarro. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, uh, I, I most likely was part of that myself. I could have been part of that myself because I was born there in 1963. I don't know. I've, I've never gone to the trouble of trying to find out. I don't know how you would find that out. Yeah, I went, I went, uh, somebody came to me about uh, something totally different and they were talking about the vaccine trials and then when I looked up, uh, discovered that they were in Madonna House and it was the same year, you yeah. know, around the same time I was there. So I contacted uh, GSK, uh, which were the Wellcome Foundation. They were, as they're called, uh, Glasgow Smith and Klein now. And in fairness, they came back nearly within weeks and uh, they gave me the records. A lot of it was redacted, you know, the usual kind of, you yeah. get a lot of the stuff back. And what was, I mean, what was the vaccine they were trialling at the time, Can you did, did they give you that information as to what it not, was? No, they didn't. Uh, but, I mean, most of it was for uh, whooping cough and that type of stuff yeah. and tetanus. So they were the vaccines that were doomed. But so, was, so essentially the religious orders or whoever were just saying, listen, yeah, we have a few babies here. You can you can try it out on them, sure, and we'll take a few quid off you. I'm assuming they were being paid uh, yeah, per baby. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, yeah. The thing is now they've always denied that they've denied that they denied that they gave any uh, payments. So why would I, they be doing it for free for? Absolutely, I agree with you. Um, my mother um, obviously didn't give any consent for this. Now she did come to see me in Madonna House, and it's in my records that I managed to get back. I had a, a long drama trying to get the records, some of my records, and I got some of them eventually. Yeah, I, I had the same situation. I got a few slips of papers, so I had handwritten stuff on it that you can barely understand. I put one up there yesterday on, on Twitter, which was my Bert record, but I have other stuff. Uh, I thought, I thought, yeah. yeah. And it, a lot of it, I mean, the stuff there about kind of vaccinations that I got, and I was unwell for a few months, and in St. Kevin's as well, I was sent over to St. Kevin's, but it's mm. hard to understand the handwriting in it, but that's about all the sum total of the information they have on me, I believe. So, I mean, a lot of people today are waiting for this report. What do you expect from this report, Francis? Well, I expect some type of, uh, I suppose, truth, I suppose. I mean, I'm more interested, I think, like as survivors, we probably know most of the stuff that's going to be in it, like like my story and, and thousands of other people, like yourself, Niall, like yeah. uh, Terry that was on yesterday, Terry's a good friend of mine, and Anna Corrigan. She t- and Terry, you know, yesterday, Terry, st- she told the story so wonderfully. When I say so wonderfully, it, you could actually, you were almost with her throughout yeah, the way yeah. she told that story. It was so detailed. It was and it was such a shame that we only have uh, a short show in the afternoon that I, I would have liked to have had her on for the whole afternoon to tell the whole story because I'd like to give people an insight who don't understand what went on. Absolutely. And I, I think kind of, like I said, we, we can understand what went on. So I suppose it's informing people that maybe don't totally understand it or totally get it because they didn't live in an institution or they didn't experience the vaccine trials or all these different things or having to try to take well, just, uh, people, people just don't understand what society was like at the time. It was Absolutely. a different society. I mean, if you, were a, if you were a young girl and you were pregnant, you, you were the shame, particularly in rural Ireland, you were the shame of the village. Yeah, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So your mother and father hid you. Yeah, and I'm interested to see, I heard you saying there earlier about like, why blame this, the church? I, I think it's the church and the state. Well, it, it is ultimately, but the state, yeah, but the state, you know, they they were the ones who allowed the church to do this. I mean, they, they turned a blind eye to what was going on. And actually, by the way, the, the Garda Shikana have a responsibility in this too. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there was a time, actually, one of the, one of my records uh, shows that my mother came and took me out of Madonna House and uh, we were obviously walking in the ground. But anyway, we went off and she brought me back to where she was living at the time and uh, the guards came and took me back to Madonna House. 
Um, so yeah, mm. they're exactly what you just said. They have the responsibility. They, they turned a blind eye to what was essentially was uh, human trafficking. Uh, and it was illegal. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, because they, these consent forms, as they, they talk about, and some, by the way, not every mother signed a consent form. Many did. But they were given to them and they were signed under duress. It wasn't informed consent. How can you give a consent form to a 16-year-old girl and expect her to understand it? Well, without, without even having a guardian present. Well, Niall, yeah, the point you're making there is very good because in 1973, when I had the vaccine trials, my mother came to see in Madonna House and on the records it says my mother was complaining about the scabs on my arms and that I was very sick. And it's all recorded down now. It doesn't mention that I was involved the vaccine trials. Obviously, these were notes kept by the Sisters of Charity. Mm-hmm. So they weren't going to write that down. But they, they wrote down that I was very sick, that I was uh, crying, that I was, wasn't sleeping well, that, you know, I was generally a very malnourished child. Can, we, can, uh, do, can you do, just before I finish up, and I, and I do want to give out the number, by the way, for the Society, uh, society of yeah, Survivors listening to yeah. uh, people who are listening, they want to call somebody. But there's just one question here, right? And, and maybe you could answer better than me. Somebody says, hi, why did the parents allow their children to be put in these homes? Could you sum that, the answer to that up? I, I just think, as you said, it was a totally different society. I don't think there's any choice. Now, my mother believed that she was going to get her children back, but she never did. She also she believed she was going her. to go to heaven. Yeah. She believed, yeah, she did. Well, you know, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not dissing people who believe that you go to heaven. I'm just no, saying that prayed, she believes she'd she be prayed, a better person for doing that. She prayed right up until the time she died. I was very lucky in yeah. a lot of ways because I was with her when she died. Um, I met my mother and I was with her in 2014 when she died. And her faith gave her that, you know, that in a this way... This is the right thing to do. Yeah, that she was told that this was the right thing to do. Like, how could an unmarried mother look after children? How could this, this, yeah, the, you, you, this wasn't one of God's children, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, this is you something know, that, that you should, yeah. yeah. But that was drummed into her. That was a, that was the, um, no, that was drummed into that generation of people. And right yeah. up after the the nineteen nineties, these um, institutions existed. I refused to call them homes because that's what they were institutions. Yeah, back in nineteen ninety eight was the last one. The last one. Close. Yeah. Every single one of them. And I'm surprised, but mind you, they were slightly different up to 1998, but I'm surprised they still existed up to 1998, mind you. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And my, my mum's funeral was actually up in Sean McDermott Street. That's where she wanted her funeral. And we, we the day of the funeral, we, we went into the church, you know, in Sean McDermott Street, as we had to, you know, for the, the mass and stuff. Mm. And I looked across the road, and what's right across the road is the last Magdalene Monday. That's, that, that's so right. We talked you can't about get away from them, you know. Yeah. You well, listen, there's a lot of, pe- a lot of people listening, and I'm sorry to rush you, Francis, but there's a lot of people listening who've been involved. Maybe they were born in a home, or maybe they, they gave up a baby in a home, and if they just wanted somebody to talk to the Society, society of Survivors listening yeah, service. Myself and Terry that you had on yesterday, myself and Terry Harrison have set up the Society of Survivors. It's, uh, the number is 085806. Nine nine two one. Okay. And I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. We'll throw that number up on our Twitter account as well, if that's okay. Yeah, please. Okay. Uh, which, so Society of Survivors Listening Service, and if anybody wants just somebody to talk to, maybe you've never talked to anybody before about you know giving up your baby or being born in a home and, and something you're finding difficult to deal with, particularly at the moment because it's in the news a lot. Uh, you can contact the number 085-806-9921 and we'll put it up on our Twitter account and also I'll give it out if you, if you don't have a pen handy I'll give it out again after the news listen Francis it's been lovely talking to you thank you very much indeed and I appreciate thank it you, you. there you go uh, Councillor Francis Timmons after the break by the way lots of text coming in somebody says uh, on Twitter there what about the fathers yeah what about them well a lot of these fathers of course look it was all part of a societal attitude wasn't it the fathers got away scot-free and a lot of these cases by the way fathers were family friends and you heard Sharon uh, before the break there family friends uncles who took advantage of teenage girls and nothing was ever said in the family you know what I mean nothing was ever said about it and I think it's time something was said about it I think it's time some of these people were named and shamed by the way for what they did not only named and shamed but criminal convictions against these individuals who took advantage of 14 and 15 and 16 year old girls that wasn't always the case by the way sometimes it was boyfriend girlfriend situation and the boyfriend was pulled aside and said ah yeah don't worry about it her family will deal with her now you go out there and finish off what you're doing there and say nothing more about it and in some cases later on then of course some of these ended up as what they called shotgun weddings um, which was fine in some sense I suppose you know she's pregnant now you better marry her and that that was the way it kind of moved forward, I suppose, to some degree. And then, of course, the state eventually started to support single women and single parents, should I say, uh, to raise their children, 
which then saw the end of these institutions and these homes. Because a lot of the time, that was the reason why these women ended up in these homes. It was because they didn't have family support, they didn't have financial support, so they couldn't keep their babies. And that was just the way it was. And it was dreadful. And I'm looking, by the way, because I do want to speak to Judy now, who was born in Shawnross Abbey. And Shawnross Abbey itself had more than a thousand died over a 37-year period. Uh, Judy, good afternoon to you. Hi. How are you doing? Judy, good. You, you, How are were, you? I, you were born in Shawnross Abbey. Yeah. In 1986. Yeah. My mother, in in 68, my mother was sent down there when they found out she was expecting me. And she was still with the dad, like, and um, so she was sent down. She was just, in. she was locked away in, in the house most of the time. My visitors came, so she wouldn't be seen. And how old was she at the time? Would you, do you know? 19. She was 19. Yeah, she was a little bit older, but... Um, yeah. So she was in the house, like, when in her own house. Yeah. As I said, she was just... If visitors were calling or whatever, she was put into a room, so she was hidden away. So they wouldn't notice she was pregnant? Yeah, yeah. So then, which was just one day, then um, a car just pulled up outside the house, and she was just bundled into it, and there was a priest on one side of her and a nun on the other, and she was driven down then to Ross Gray. Mm-hmm. So she, I think she was about seven months at that stage, and so she had me down there anyway. I was with her till I was like over four months old. Yeah. when I was taken away from her. So she was there a year altogether. So she was still there a few months after she had me as well. Okay, so she, she, so she would have been there when, when the family came along who wanted you. What happened was, like the, from what she's told me now, um, she, 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 she'd she get an hour with me every day. That was it. She'd be in the laundry then for the majority of the day. And this particular day, um, she, she was getting more time with me. She was getting an extra few hours and she was a bit kind of sus about that. And she had signed a couple of things beforehand, but she didn't realise what she was actually signing like. But she would, see, I think young girls of 19 at 19, nowadays 19-year-olds have a way of the world. But at the time, 18 and 19-year-olds maybe don't get a people better. Oh, back then, she was she Immature. Was they were, yeah, they were immature. They were naive. She was very naive. Um, you know, even when I was 19, Niall, I would have been, I wouldn't have been as savvy as what they are now either. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but... That particular morning, um, they left me with her and left me with her a little bit longer and they gave her a lovely lemon dress to put on me. So she put that on me and a little bonnet and stuff. And I was be- beginning to cut a tooth even and um, they came along then and they just snatched me out of her arms basically mm. and she just got out of the, the, she was in the room and she got out of the, 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 the bed where she was sitting on the bed with me dressing me and she ran down the corridor after after them and they tore her back by the hair and she just got away from them again because she was a bit feisty like myself and she got as far as the doors and she was taken away again and there was just a black car outside. The number plates were blocked off and everything and I was taken away and that was it then. And was, at what point did you find out, by the way, that you were born there? I didn't... I, I knew as a child I was adopted but I didn't really know what it was kind of thing and oh, then, what it meant yeah, yeah yeah what it meant and I didn't know I came from there at all I was just adopted I, I, I thought I just came from someone's home I didn't understand because you were talking about the 70s when I was a child yeah but I was very ashamed of it Niall you know I was really ashamed of it like sometimes if children were fighting with me in the yard they'd throw it in at least I'm not adopted kind of thing you know and yeah. it, was, it was very hurtful and mm. you know me you know I'm tough like but you are tough it, you are tough yeah but it's difficult and um so um, it, it, I only found out when the film Philomena came out that Sean Ross Abbey is actually where I came from. I didn't know about that place really too much at all. And I didn't think too much into and, until the mother and baby thing kind of came out. Mm-hmm. thought I was part of that, like, you know. Yeah. And that was only a few years ago. So that really had a profound effect on me because I didn't know I came from an establishment like that. I knew about the laundries and stuff, but I didn't know that's where I came from. And it was only because the film Philomena was coming out that my mother's sister rang me. I've met her, I've met a couple of her sisters and a couple of her brothers. I haven't met her. Um, she promised me too many times that she was coming over. She had flights booked and I had taken time off work. And, and, where, where's and her, where is she? She's in the UK she's now? She's in London. Okay. Yeah, and she promised me she had flights booked and I'd taken time off work and I was all excited about meeting her and psyching myself up and she let me down at the last minute. And why, and why do you think she... I mean, she has her own reasons for doing that, but why do you think she did that? I think... What I think, now It's difficult and for her, I'm sure. I've spoken to the Commissioner of Investigators. They came down last year to meet me, and I spoke to them, and I've been to Tusla, and I've been to the whole lot, because Tusla... Well, they said it was a misprint. 
they said it was actually September I was born when it wasn't. They got my date of birth and everything mixed up, which really hurt and me. But, like, but like, can I sorry to interrupt you, but when you say you spoke to the Commission of Investigation... About my case. Okay, did you... How did that work? Because a lot of people might be curious as to how people ended up, because the Commission of Investigation of this report is based on the stories from people like you. Yeah, and they mo- came down to speak to me. They and did you approach them first and say, listen... You know, I, yeah, okay. I did. I wrote to them. Okay. I wrote to them. I spoke to a lovely lady in Tesla. She was very, very helpful and... She, she said to me, would you not think about, because of all the lies I was told over the years, Niall, you know, and mm. I didn't know who I was at times. You know, I'd even be doing something silly like cleaning out the cat's litter tray and I'd, I'd be like, who am I? Yeah, you start to lose a sense who of identity. Am I like? and yeah, who of do course. I belong to? And yeah. the whole lot. And I want to find out, you know, and so she gave me the, the, the um, address and stuff for them. So I wrote them a heartfelt letter. I put pen to paper. I didn't email or anything like that. I just felt putting it pen to paper and expressing how this whole thing has affected me as a person would be better and how, letters. But so how, like, how, I mean, just I want to go back to that letter then. How do you think, because obviously I, in the same situation as yourself, I was born in a mother and baby home as well, mm. and, and I was there for a good, well, for a portion of my life, my early life. Mm. How do you think it's affected you as a person? Um, I think, you know, speaking to them, well, beginning, first of all, I was so ashamed for so many years and it's only when all this came out that I felt there were so many other people like me. Like, I met PJ Gallagher in our local pub there mm-hmm. about three years ago, and he'd only come out to say that he came from there as well. That's right. Yeah. And PJ said to me, he said, you know, I just got talking to him. I said, you were very good on the TV the other night talking about your, your situation. I said, I said, I'm in the same situation as you. I said, and you were very brave. And he said, you know what we're like now? And I'll never forget him. He said, everyone wants to be us now. We're like a circus act. He said, everybody wants to be us because we're we're kind of famous, if you like, you know, in a way mm-hmm. that we can actually kind of, he said it in such a way that it made me feel good that I can actually talk about it now, that I've nothing to be ashamed of. I'm the child. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask for any of this. Do you know what I mean? I'm the child, you know. And yeah. But in saying that, I had brilliant mum and dad. I mean, I couldn't have had better. I really couldn't. I wanted for nothing. I, I really couldn't have had the best and, and, I, and I'm and in the same situation. I had a, I had a great mum and dad. And yeah. But that's not the point. You, there's still that curiosity of, of wanting is. to know and your identity. I, I, I got in contact with my birth mother in 1996 and we exchanged a few letters here and there and stuff and mm. she, she kind of backed off for a little bit then and, and, and stuff and like I said, I still, I, I think she still sees maybe what she called me. She called me something that I, it does not suit me. <laughs> okay. And, um, do you know, she, uh, but I do you know who your father is? She told me who he was and yeah. she, she the, the, the name she gave me um, was kind of it's a name, but it could be a nickname if you get me as well. And were they in a relationship at the time? Yeah, they were. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. And he didn't. He was away. He was away working, and he didn't know that she'd given me away at all. She never told him. Okay. Until afterwards, but the the guy she told me was my dad. Um, had passed away. I went looking for him, and he, I found out he passed away. But I got in contact with his son and his other kids. Befriended all of them on Facebook for a couple of years. Which are essentially your half siblings. But they actually, they weren't, because I was a bit, something just didn't sit right with me at all. And I went to Tuzla and I just said, I want my records, I want my official records. And it wasn't, it was actually his brother, it was my father, not him. Oh, okay, all right. So, so all listen. the people that I thought were my brothers and sisters. Are essentially your cousins. My cousins. Yeah, essentially. So when I contacted my, the, my dad, my actual dad, who passed away as well. And if I hadn't been lied to about who he was, I could have found him sooner because he never wanted to give me away. He he was he wanted to find me all those years. And did he but, have sons and daughters? Yeah, he has kids. But when I contacted them, I, I, it was my aunt, my mother's sister, um, did a bit of digging. She'd be very good like that. She should have been a, 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 detective. a, a, a detective. Yeah, and she got me a, the name of one of his daughters. And I messaged her and I told her who I was. I explained the situation and she basically messaged me back, said she wanted nothing to do with me. I'm a psycho um, oh. because I'm, I, I'm his daughter one week, I'm her daughter the next week. And my father would never have done the dirt behind my mother's back. And I'm like, but he didn't. He had me before he met your mother. Mm. So she was having none of me. So I felt really rejected there as well because I could have had a relationship with brothers and sisters. And that, by the way, that happens to a lot of people that not only do you have the rejection of being given up in the first place in one of these homes, but you also have the rejection of maybe meeting or finding out who the person is, contact them and you get rejected again. Yeah, Yeah, loads of people rejected me. And, it, 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 you know, and I mean, as you know, I'm tough out, Niall, but 
I'm very soft as well, you know, and it's 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 very upsetting like that these people are here and they just don't want anything to do with me and as I said, I didn't do anything wrong. But the commissioners came down and they spoke to me and I my friends came with me and they boiled sweets and they had everything in the room for me and they rented out a room in, in a hotel here. They even stayed overnight. Um and they were so good to me and so nice to me. And I was able to explain absolutely everything. I was with them for two hours and one of them even said to me it was one she got upset and she said like it was one of the saddest cases she'd ever come across and I said well, look it is what it is you know kind of thing if if they don't want me then that's fine I'll, I don't really want them I've come this far without them yeah. and if they don't want me in their life they're missing out on a whole lot and I got a text message then a normal text message three years ago um, giving me my sister's address in the UK and I looked it up it, it, it was her address and I wrote her a beautiful letter on cat paper because she loves cats as well and um, I inherited that from them and um, mm-hmm. I wrote her a beautiful letter I said I, look I got an anon- anonymous uh, text I said because I didn't know who the number was and I tried to ring it back they didn't answer I still don't know who sent it to me and I wrote her two beautiful letters because she didn't get back to my first one and got nothing back absolutely nothing back so she and she's the only sister, there's three boys and there's her. And I kind of thought, God, if she found out that if I, I would go to the moon. See, the problem is, and, and by the way, for anybody in that situation that you're in, where you're not getting a good result from contacting people who you know you're related to, they may have their own personal reasons. for. And, and I, I'm, I'm not defending them, but I'm just saying yeah. they could have, you know, it's very difficult for people to process things like this in their mind. You know, suddenly, you know, let's say, for example, you or me or somebody turns around and sends you a text and says, listen, I'm your brother or I'm your sister or I'm your mother or I'm your father, whatever. And yeah. sometimes it's difficult for you to process that in your mind and you may get back to that person in your own time. You know, that might be at that time in your life might be suitable for you to do that. And I know there's a lot of mothers out there, by the way, who had children and maybe they went on to be married and had more children and never told their husbands or never told their children that you, not well, you personally. she never told her husband, but he, he, yeah. he, he, he passed away since. But, she but told, what I'm saying she is, told, though, that's just an example for many people around the country who may never have told their families that they had children in the past. Well, you see, it's coming from her because my siblings know about me yeah. because I've spoken to two of them and she told me that my sister wanted nothing to do with me. She said, I'm really sorry about that, but I don't believe that. I don't. I think it's coming from her because the whole situation, Niall, I don't fly, I hate flying, but if I had given birth to a cat 52 years ago and someone told me the cat was up in Mars, I would board a rocket out my back and I'd be straight up there to get that cat and bring it home. And that's a cat because that's the type of nature I have. I thought I would have inherited, they'd have that type of nature in them. But I just think, getting back to your question earlier, I think the reason why she doesn't want to meet me is because she has a vision, and I said this to her on the phone, and I said, look, if this is the reason, I said, I completely understand, and I won't meet you, I said. I, I, I gave it to her, like, not get, gave it to her, I gave it to her. Yeah. I, 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 I gave her the, the option. I said, look, I said, I genuinely think the reason why, it's not that you won't meet me, I think you can't meet me. I said, because, I said, the last vision you have in your mind, I said, is a four-and-a-half-month-old baby. With a little yellow dress and a bonnet on her. Yeah. And a bonnet. And I said, if you see me, that vision will be gone from your mind forever. I know, I know, and, and I, I, I get that. And do me a favour, just stay there, Judy, because I want to try and get Pat in before the break as well, if I can. Stay there with me, Judy, and I'm not dismissing your story. Sorry, Pat, you're on Classic Kids. Hey. How you doing, Pat? Hi, how's it going, Niall? Pat, you were born in St. Patrick's Home, the Navan Road, 10 years after me, 1973. That's it, yeah. And okay. I was adopted in down to Cork. Okay. And and where are you now? Did you find out who your parents were, or well, who your yeah, birth mother was? I actually traced my birth mother when I was 20. Okay. I started the process when I was 18 and went very quickly and met her when I was 20. And how did you get on? Um, okay. It, it, it's kind of a mix of emotions. I know it is. It is. It is. Because uh, obviously you can't force a relationship with somebody you no, don't know. And, and like, I was actually talking to her this morning. So there, there is, mm. you know, we keep in contact. Yeah. But we'll say my parents are still alive. And, you know, how did, you, how did your parents knows. feel about you tracing your, your birth mother? Um... I always knew I was adopted. It was never hidden from us. It was always explained. I was quite open with my parents that I was doing it, and they were supportive of it. I did notice initially after I made contact with my birth mother, I think my mother was a little bit hurt. Once they put out, not even hurt, I, I think more worried that she might come in in second place or... Yeah, yeah. You know, no, I get, that, like I get that. that. I get that. Yeah, which wouldn't be the case. Do you know, I, I, I was the same. I never told my, my adoptive mother that I was looking 
Um, and because I had found a load of papers that my dad had had hidden. But then I didn't know I was adopted, all right. But I never told her. And the, the first time that I told her everything that I had gone and looked and met her and all was two days before she died. And she was delighted. She was absolutely yeah, I, delighted. I, I'd, like, I'd, I'd be straight. My yeah. mother met my parents. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and we've stayed in contact over the years. I, I don't mean to sound cruel or anything, but I think... Looking at it now, the age I am now and I have my own kids, I understand how my birth mother felt when I came back into her life. But it's it's a very different thing as an adopted child. You have this driving curiosity of course, to yeah. find out what's your background. But that, that's what Jesus what, talks what about, your identity. Story. Yes, your identity. Yeah, what's yeah. the story behind how this happened and everything else. And it's only now that I have my own kids and I look back and I realise it must have been fairly traumatic because... She told me certain things about the home, but not everything, and it, it's not something that you can push. And what information did you get from St. Pat's, if any at all, apart from maybe a couple of slips of paper? <laughs> did you get any slips of I paper got, or anything? Um, I got two small slips of paper yeah, that's, from that's, that's St. Anne's Adoption Society, which, once I traced her, were actually complete fabrications. And how old, um, how old were you when you were adopted, by the way? Do you know who old I you I was about four months old. Okay, but that was young enough. They, they did keep babies yeah. for longer than that as well. Yeah, I mean, I was... Uh, apparently I was quite ill for a month only for that I would have gone sooner okay, but you probably ended up in St. Kevin's as well yeah no they, they kept me in the home they oh, didn't okay. send me to the hospital but she didn't actually know the day that I was leaving mm. the way she found out was one of her friends in the home was <laughs> I suppose it's sad and funny in one way uh, was serving tea to the nuns and the bishop who was up from Cork and overheard them saying three girls and one boy going to Cork and because I was the only boy missing, okay. that's how she knew where I went. Other than that, she wouldn't have known whether I... And did she ever Did she ever explain the circumstances to you? Um, you know, yeah, I, she did. She did. I mean, the, the circumstances were she was 20 years of age, pregnant. small town in Linster, and basically the stigma that would have been attached, mm. you know? Um, and no financial or, or family support because the family, of course, I, actually, wouldn't want a pregnant young girl, I suppose. Funnily enough, no, I think there was actually family support offered, but she felt that the stigma that would have been attached to me, it was something that she didn't want to mm-hmm. yeah. bring on me. Like, I suppose every story is different now. Yeah, know? of course, of um, course, yeah. And do you think know, it, by the way, do you think it's affected your life, Pat? Now that you know. Um, yes and no. I have very good parents. I, I still have very good parents. Um, it, but it does, it affects you in, in ways in that... I won't say there was a stigma attached, but you were very much aware of it as you were going through school that, you know, you were slightly different. Yeah, well, well I, I always remember my situation when the school would say, they'd send you home and you'd go home to your mum and you'd say, mum, uh, the school are looking for a, a birth certificate for something yes, today. and you had the short form. Yeah, and, and your mum would always go, all right, Jay, I'll deal with that, you're grand, yeah. I'll deal with yeah. that, yeah, you're grand. And <laughs> thing, things like that. You, you were just, you were, aware, you were aware that you were slightly different. Mm. And... That's not a good thing, but that and that's what angers me so much about this commission is that we're still in in 2021 with the way this commission is conducting its business and with who they're giving the files to, to be minded because all we're going to get back is redacted, redacted, redacted. Mm-hmm. This many years on in the society we're supposed to be in, where it's an all-encompassing society, we're still being pushed to one side as a slight embarrassment. Do you, Judy, do you feel that that, that as well, that, that you know, that, that all this report is going to do is not change nothing, that just we're an, you know, we're an embarrassment, myself, yourself, uh, Pat, that we're just, we're a bad part of history? Yeah, it's like, it's, it's like as if they think we're we're nothing and just kind of get on with it now. It's done and dusted and forget about it. Line, line in the sand now, let's move on. You know, sweep it under the carpet, just say, say sorry and like... Let that be an end to it. Do you know what I mean? I think they're just waiting for us all to die off so it can be just forgotten about for good. Yeah. And, and they, like, you, you hit the nail on the head earlier now. Like, this report, or what we've, what's been leaked from the report, trying to blame the parents, that's completely wrong. Because society at the time, if, if you looked at any small parish in Ireland, the, the, the leading lights in that parish were the priest, the teacher, the doctor, and the guard. Mm. And that's what everybody based their opinions and beliefs on. And these were the people that were complicit in orchestrating people going to the homes, babies being adopted. And I, I do think there's a responsibility to 
make people admit that they were wrong. I mean, yeah, the report, according to the leak, uh, appears to have found that neither the Catholic Church nor the state forced women into the homes and that allegations institutions were paid to arrange foreign adoptions are impossible to prove or disprove. That's what means to me. That flies in the face of everything that people are well, telling Well, I know, I know there was a donation made <laughs> for me when I was collected. and Yeah, well, my, my, father, my father, father, as far as I know, I have the receipt anyway for £350. Yeah, so I mean, there was there was a price put on us, yeah. and it, that's blatantly obvious because if you look at the vaccine trials, there was a price put on us to test us. They said the word they used the word donation. I mean, I don't know if Judy has any of that information on her own, but yeah, yeah, you were essentially you were essentially bought, like you know, it's it, it you became always, a commodity essentially. It yeah. was always Catholic families that adopted these babies, and these babies were fattened up. She told me this, my mother, like you're you're fattened up and. It's the fat babies, the chunky babies. I was a chunker, like. I have photographs here of me when, when, when yeah, I was Yeah, so was I, baby. actually. I have a photograph of me in a cottage or in a pram. <laughs> I was quite... I, I have slabs of skin in my, and I'm a skinny, skinny little shit now, like, what I mean, and I always was. But I had, like, big flabby legs, and I, I used to say to my mother here, like, Jesus, I was one fat baby, like. <laughs> I couldn't, un- and I was so brown as well. I was really, really brown. So you were made I, attractive to the family who wanted to pick you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I was I was brown as a berry as well because I was born in April, like, and I was there like May at the end, last day of April, so I was there May, June, July, August. So all the so you were left were, out in the sun a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they were lined out in the front of Sean Ross Abbey in their cribs, yeah. in, in their nappies, so they'd get brown. That's why I was so brown. I couldn't, you know, and like, but you're essentially like when 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 I kind of got the whole gist of 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 what went on in those places, and and my they were baby, but they were essentially baby factories. Well, yeah, you're, you're, you're essentially bought. Like, families hmm. go down and they pay for the baby and they take the baby away. You're essentially bought, like, went into the shop buying a slice of bread I, or a slice of pan. I mean, that's the way I feel. Like, I was essentially bought. I'm glad I was bought by the people <laughs> that bought me. But, I mean, I was bought. And when you psychoanalyze that, it, 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 it does hurt you, like, it, it, you know. Yeah. But at, at the end of the day, someone wanted me. So, well, that, and, and Pat is the same. He said he had good parents, and I had good parents too, who raised me too. And like, I, I don't think it's that we weren't wanted. I don't think the people. No, that, that, that was were the, the way society it. was at the time, and that was the way yeah. the church made people feel at the time. That you yeah. know, and they made young women feel you shouldn't be pregnant unless you have a family and a husband and a house. Yeah, and it's it's very funny. I mean, I'm similar to you. I don't practice my religion. I don't. Yeah. The few adopted people I know, I don't think any of them practice their religion. But maybe, maybe, maybe that's the reason why. Listen, guys, thank you very much indeed. Pat and Judy, thank you for sharing your story. But unfortunately, I have to go to a break again. But thank you very much indeed to everybody, by the way, who's texting in and sharing their stories. The report is out today, by the way, a little bit after three o'clock. So we will get the full insight into the report. I know the leaks are already out there, but the leaks could be out of context as well. So let's just see what the report is going to say. And tomorrow, by the way, uh, the Taoiseach uh, will go to the doll on the first day after the doll recess and he will apologise. Uh, I believe there is going to be an apology to all the people and to all the women who had the babies and all the people who were born in the mother and baby homes. And there will be a full apology by the state uh, tomorrow in relation to that report or what's in that report. So we'll find out exactly what it is. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits.